0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our
1: industry. Hey, everyone, it's Bridget here. I had the opportunity to talk with Elena Street. Elena is a director based in Brooklyn, New York, and she has most recently co-created the branded documentary campaign, The Lesbian Bar Project as a result of business disappearing due to COVID-19 and has received over 90 articles this year alone with over 1 billion impressions. Her work primarily highlights the female gaze and attempts to break gender stereotypes in the media. Look, she is a powerhouse and she is truly breaking down barriers for all. She shares with us the history of lesbian bars Where they are today, the where, the why, and the how it all happened. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite Maker's Mark cocktail and enjoy the show. Elena, welcome to Served Up. I am really excited to have you on the show today.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Um,
1: I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, you're welcome. Could you tell our listeners really what, what inspired you to become a director? Like, where did that all start early on for you?
0: So, I grew up in uh, France and uh, my father was American. So, I traveled a lot uh, from France to America. And uh, just growing up in two different cultures and very different countries, I never really felt like I belonged in one place. And I always sort of created my own culture out of a fusion of different cultures. And I would go to different schools and I would meet different people. And I would also um, sometimes meet people at school, but I didn't know, um, like I, I would just be in a school for like six months at a time. So it was sometimes hard for me to really find a community So I would end up hanging out with my parents and their friends and I would learn so much about their worlds and different age groups. So all this to say that I had been exposed to so much and every time I would go to bed, I would have this feeling inside of me that would just say to me, I need to do something about all these exposures that I've had. I need to tell these stories. And so... I was really passionate about watching movies. And um, again, it was something that was dear to my culture because I would watch French films and then I was exposed to uh, Hollywood cinema. And I just always was obsessed with watching movies and with telling stories. And so I had to sort of merge both worlds. Um, I started off as an actor and then I decided that it wasn't for me when I tried to apply to schools as an actor. Um, It was fine when I was in high school, but then I decided that I was much more comfortable behind the camera and I usually really had a vision for everything. And so it's, that's, what's really amazing about being a director is that you have an opportunity to hand the mic to other people, uh, but you're also in charge of putting together a whole world. And so I just find it so invigorating and really empowering and I love it. So It always kind of made sense to me. And I started off in the documentary world because I would meet people and I started this whole five minutes in the life of concept where I would follow people around who had these secret gardens. Uh, So for example, I would be at a pub in the UK where I went to my undergrad and I would meet someone really interesting at the pub and they would tell me about their lives and they would say to me, I, I live on a boat, uh, but I sell private jets and helicopters to celebrities. And I would just find that so intriguing to have such different uh, occupations, but also lifestyle. So I started this whole secret garden, five minutes in the life of concept. And so I started in the documentary world. Then I worked with actors and now I do commercials and also um, documentary, world, uh, documentary and fiction.
1: I think that that's so inspiring because what you're doing is when you say you're passing the mic, I mean, that work is not easy work, you know, really getting down to humanity and what makes people tick. Right. Can you tell us about, um, one of your most recent documentaries, which was called the lesbian bar project?
0: Absolutely. So, um, I've been living in New York for the past eight years. And when I arrived in New York, I identified as straight. I had never dated women. And when I moved here, I was very curious about uh, this little voice inside of me that was very interested by women. And so I decided to go to uh, lesbian bars Um, and it was the first time I felt like I actually really belonged to a community and I really understood myself. I suddenly understood my sexuality and these spaces became so important to my identity and my sexual orientation. So, sorry, that sounds a little weird to say that, but I ended up going to these bars and they were a big part of who I became when I sort of started an active um, professional life as an adult as well. Um, anyways, all this to say, I ended up working on a bunch of commercials and a bunch of TV sets that didn't feel meaningful to me because a lot of the times I was excited to work on them. It was a great work opportunity, but it wasn't something that was actually helping me give back to the community or to the people that I loved. And so when COVID hit New York City, um, our industry as filmmakers um, completely shut down. So all of a sudden we were without work and I've never been without work. I always am the one who figures, I, I always figure out a job. I always when I was younger, I would always have summer jobs. I would always tutor. I would always nanny. I would always volunteer. And, and all of a sudden I'm, you know, working and I'm living in New York city and I don't have a job. So it was very scary. And there are a few articles that started being published about the fact that there were only 15 remaining lesbian bars in all of the United States. Can we pause there for just one second?
1: Because the, when I met you for the first time earlier this year in 2021, you had said that and I, it really stuck with me. Like you are kidding me. I would love to know why and the history as well of what you know of mm. the lesbian bars. You know, why did they start? When did they start? And why yeah. was, that space was definitely um, needed.
0: Definitely. Uh, It was. So when these articles started being published, um, it was shocking. I mean, even as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, we didn't know the numbers were so low. And so um, I was on the phone with one of my dear friends who is also a queer um, lesbian filmmaker in Brooklyn um, and who is now one of my best friends. Her name is Erica Rose. Um, her work is excellent as well. I encourage everyone to look up her work. Um, but we decided that we needed to do something to help because we both did not know the numbers were so low. And so we did start some research. You know, it's very hard to say there's one reason for this number to be so low. Uh, we found a study um, by a sociology professor called Breger Matson, who said that in the 1980s, there were 200, and now we're down to 15. And uh, Julie Compton, a journalist, uh, had published an article in NBC that was really what it, like sparked our need to do this PSA. And really talking about the different elements. So there are the different elements. So as I said, it's kind of hard to pin down one reason, but, uh, gentrification is one of the reasons why, uh, there are so few lesbian bars. Geographically as well, from history, we have noticed that, um, there are gayborhoods, but rarely they cater to women. It's mostly they cater to men. Income disparity as well between men and women is a big part of it. Um, the spending power uh, for men is is very much, uh, is a lot bigger than for women. Women have a tendency to have children and have to stay home and take care of their kids. So they're not going out as much. Now there's a shift to online culture, which also with COVID, we've noticed that you know, we have less of a need to go to a space to meet people. We strongly believe we have to. And that was the whole thing about the Lesbian Bar Project. It's go back to your bars and show up for your bars. But when they're closed, where do you go? In the past, uh, you know, it, these spaces were sort of hidden away. It was almost like, a, a, you know, what we call speakeasies today. There were race-based quotas at the door. There were uh operate they were operated by the mafia. I was at a dinner last night, and um, this eighty year old lesbian was telling me that she remembers the mafia at the door, the big security guys that just would be very selective uh, when you would go into the spaces and usually it would be like a back bar as well, so it wasn't obvious um, so anyways, this is sort of like the history of of the bars but Diving deeper into this, we did some research and we put out a 90-second PSA. So we couldn't go film in person because obviously the lockdown and quarantine. So we used some archival footage and it was really great because a lot of people were available and could send us their archival footage, which by the way, is very hard to find in lesbian history. It's, it's really not out there. We, we did a lot of research to access those photos, uh, to access clips. And we ended up finding a way to connect with Leah Delaria, who is an iconic lesbian celebrity um, who was in Orange is the New Black, um, but she was also one of the first out comedians in, the, in history. Uh, so she is an icon and she accepted to narrate our PSA. And so that was last year, um, and then we organized a big crowdfunding campaign for the fifteen bars, and we raised over one hundred and seventeen thousand dollars. Wow! And we got a lot of press, and we did get a brand sponsorship support from Jägermeister. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that.
1: Yes, of course you are. Okay, <laughs> you great. Are. Yes, so yes, I ma'am. will
0: say so. So, what I will say is um, normally, as a director, you have an agent, and that agent is the one that is sort of helping you pitch to brands and agencies. During COVID, a lot of the agencies weren't really operating. So, Erica and I saw it as an opportunity to actually just do some cold reach outs directly to the brands and basically say, Hey, you know, we have this project. Will you please help us? let's try to talk about these spaces that are threatened to close due to COVID. And Jägermeister had started this incredible program called the Save the Night campaign where, and it's still on, and they're basically um, helping nightlife spaces stay open during COVID, but also in the foreseeable future. And they're organizing these amazing partnerships with celebrities to really keep that, nightlife going. And this was, the Lesbian Bar Project was very much aligned with the Save the Night campaign. So uh, they were extremely kind and generous. I had no idea of their involvement in the LGBTQ plus community, because that's another thing you have to be careful about. It's so easy uh, to have and find supporters or people who want to show that they're supportive of the community but just because they wanted to look that way on paper and they actually don't really care. So for us, it was very important to find a partner who actually wasn't just supporting the community one month out of the year, but every day out of the year. And that's what we found. So that was also very um, helpful and encouraging, and they wanted to keep helping. So this past Pride Month, we uh, made a 20-minute documentary film uh, where we dove deeper into the lens of bar owners, community activists, and patrons. And we were able to go to Mobile, Alabama to capture this incredible lesbian bar called HERS that opened uh, right before COVID and closed for a few months during COVID, but now it's open and running. They have an amazing outdoor patio. They organize activities there. There was an amazing crawfish bake when we were there. They do these cool trivia nights and screenings. um, And it's in Mobile, Alabama. So
1: yeah, it's, you would never expect it basically. No, you wouldn't. (laughs) It's so random. You know, we think of Mobile, unfortunately, we don't always think of inclusion. So that's really good to hear. You know.
0: Yeah. The and the bar owners having
1: the the um the feeling good about feeling free within their community, right? Definitely. So that's cool. Very I
0: mean, cool. it wasn't easy. Uh, Rachel and Sheila Smallman, the owners who are uh, married, they it was it wasn't easy for them to open the space. They got a lot of criticism, a lot of judgment. In fact, their signage outside looks a little bit like a strip club. On purpose, so that people don't necessarily judge before walking in. and then they're welcomed with open arms, and actually a lot of the patrons love their experience there. And they don't necessarily know it's a lesbian bar when they walk in, but it is. So it's just interesting to see how they navigated that stereotype, but also are trying their best to be um, accepted. We went to uh, well we, we we live in New York City, so we captured the cubby hole which is iconic. Uh, we captured um, Henrietta Hudson and um, unfortunately gingers, which is the, so in New York city, we only have three lesbian bars and one of them is called gingers and it's in Brooklyn. And unfortunately it has not reopened and i do not think it will reopen. So it's very sad because gingers is iconic and people living in Brooklyn would love to have a lesbian bar. As a result of the Lesbian Bar Project, we have heard of a lot of people that are inspired to open bars and spaces. Uh, so that's very encouraging. But as we know, it's, it's very expensive
1: and um, mm-hmm. it's not easy. And especially you know, in Brooklyn and New York. Right. I mean, the price yeah. versus mobile is. Exactly. I mean, the space is completely
0: different as yeah. well.
1: Yeah. I do want yeah. to kind of rewind just a little bit so that um, our listeners understand, maybe some of our listeners have maybe even ever considered going into a lesbian bar or realize that there's like, what did you say? 15 left in, not in New York folks, in the freaking country. Okay. <laughs> yes, that is, I will. <laughs> that is nuts. Still very shocking. So just want to rewind just a little bit, because you talked about that you met this fabulous woman, 80 year old woman the frequent a uh, lesbian bar owned by the mafia. I know that there's got to be more to the story there. But can you maybe share why these spaces needed to be created and mm-hmm. um how they began and mm-hmm. how they evolved, let's say, and some of the challenges because you know, you just said it like this it's 2021. And this bar in Mobile had to make sure that their sign was compatible maybe with some of those in the community so they wouldn't get some pushback. They had, you know, the, the outside looks like a strip club, you said. Other mm-hmm. bars don't have to do that, by the way. So no. I think that it's important <laughs> for folks to understand the reason why. Absolutely.
0: So I just want to say as well, there are 21 bars because thanks to the success and the publicity of the project, we've had a few more that have reached out to us. That's great. And which is great. But once again, shows that they're really hard to find. Mm -hmm. So we created a map on our website. It's all accessible for free. You can also watch the film for free, but the bars are highlighted on that map. So once again, it shows how we have none. <laughs> and there are just very few little dots on that map, but now they're 22. Uh, so there are 22, but still it's so low. It's so important to have a space that caters to a specific community um, for people to be themselves. Out of these 21 bars, there are only two that are owned by women of color. That's something else I wanted to mention. So Hers in Mobile, Alabama, is owned by Sheila and Rachel Smallman, um, who are black. And then there is also um, a bar called Boycott Bar in Arizona, uh, owned by a Latinx um, bar owner. And that's it. And, you know, that's another thing we need to really understand is that the human, the the lesbian history was not always inclusive of of race, but there were race-based quotas at the door as well and there had to be undercover reunions of specific communities within the communities so it becomes very difficult when you have that because all of a sudden you know you are exclusive within your community which is really messed up so it's year undoing that and it's it's tough it's it's really, as i said it's really tough to find one reason but if we look at the history of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, now we're adding letters. Now we have language where we can find more ways to really define people are. And I think it's amazing because we finally are saying, are putting our foot down and saying, you know, you can't just tokenize us. Like I know a lot of people who go to gay bars A lot of straight people go to gay bars because they expect to have a good time because they say gay people are fun and drag shows are cool. So first of all, this, this is the issue, you know, it's people go with, they want to be entertained. Um, They're using it as a spectacle. And I think that is what the issue has been and is today as well. And we're starting to talk about it. But people who go to these bars need to respect why they're there and they need to go with the right intention. And I think for lesbian bars, when I go to lesbians, there are sometimes some men who are hoping to, you know, turn a lesbian and it happens all the time still. So there's still a lot of education to be done within our community and outside. And I think that's something we have. an issue. It's It's really hard to bridge those two.
1: Well, maybe there's a documentary there, right? Yeah. Bridging the gap. Bridging the gap. And, you know, you brought up even like, you know, drag shows. I don't think the majority of um, people understand where that history comes from even and why that was needed in the 80s and, you know, why why they would have drag balls and that need to really have that space to be able to express yourself fully in a very safe environment with, with like minds. I mean, I don't think that Americans especially understand a lot of history that goes behind all of this. So I think you have a lot of documentaries that you need to continue
0: to make. That's true. That's true. And I mean, especially if we look at the history of media and cinema, Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, uh, A lot of um, the trans community was misrepresented, and there are a lot of characters that are psychotic or villains, and Mm -hmm. they're usually trans or they're usually homosexuals. So it's, Mm -hmm. we've been so programmed to see things in a certain way that it really was ingrained in us. So it's all about like rewiring, and we are still lacking a lot of content with. Uh, Stories about just being gay as a normal story, like it doesn't have to be a, a film about a coming out story. It still is, and I just hope that we can come to a point where it's just a normal thing, where it's not a something that we have to talk about. But at the same time, like I think the reason why there's so few lesbian bars is because in New York, for example, I feel comfortable being myself. So maybe. Maybe I can go to a straight bar and feel accepted, but there's something to be said about being with your own people. And I think that goes for everyone. That's why it's so important to have the spaces like they're community centers. They're not just a bar. And a lot of these bars and the bar culture in general is changing as well. Opening up to the sober now bars have food. Now they're open longer hours it's it's a very different world. And I think it's amazing. We need to embrace that and we need to show up because if, you know, we're social beings, we're meant to be surrounded. We're meant to to share and communicate. And also intergenerational dialogue is so important. And I actually met a lot of older lesbians that sort of became my mentors in these bars. I never... I don't know. I'm, I'm curious if like you walk into a, I guess, a straight bar, you would also meet people of all ages, but there it felt even more important and crucial to me because I wanted to hear from their experiences and I don't want it to be forgotten.
1: Right. Right. I think that something interesting really happened during 2021 with the beverage industry as a whole. And I want to just kind of take it back even to the tragedy with George Floyd. And through Black Lives Matter, through communities coming together, through the whole social civil rights uprising that happened really emboldened a lot of folks, whether they're from the LGBTQ or you know, female, from the Asian community. I mean, communities as a whole just really started to rise up and they continue to which is important. And in the beverage industry, I can tell you firsthand that it can be a very toxic place from everything from the hiring practices Mm. to the support that you're given once you are hired, what is tolerated from your manager, what you're expect to tolerate from the customer. And then also how you're expected to be paid a fair wage. Mm -hmm. So, so much has come to the table in the last year. I find it, I mean, I've been in the industry for 27 years. I've never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it. It's incredibly exciting to see that, you know, the table is being burnt. Basically, (laughs) they're not building a new one. They're just burning it to the ground. And so- You know, a lot of great changes are happening very slowly from an industry that, you know, just yeah, it's just and
0: it's not like there's didn't have a spotlight
1: on it as it should have, right? With a lot of these practices, and this dates back to the beginning of bars, you know. Regardless Mm -hmm. of who's sitting in the bar, so it's it's an exciting time, and that's why these conversations are incredibly important because things will not change if we don't talk. If, if right. you don't create your documentaries, if we don't continue these conversations and put the spotlight on what's needed, what's changed, what's the history. But I think it's an exciting time for the beverage industry as a whole. I really do.
0: I mean, I think so too. Um, I never thought of myself as an activist, but you know, everything we're doing is a form of activism once we speak out. And it doesn't mean that it has to be violent or offensive. It just means that I need to be myself and I'm just trying to say something um, and I'm being heard. And I agree. I think for me as an artist, I, you know, the sad truth is you have to rely on brands because they're the ones with the money that can help you make your art. It's really wonderful, though, to see that there is that wind of change where all of a sudden the brands are not just trying to support you for one like for a one time thing and they will hear you. And there is that wind of change. I also think that um, I only can talk as a patron, but I've noticed that the relationship to alcohol and to beverages is also changing. And I really appreciate that because, for example, growing up in France. It wasn't cool to get wasted. In fact, if you got wasted at a party, it was embarrassing. People would say to you, "You you passed out. It's not cool." <laughs> so you it my was gosh. all about like how to act or like how to perform when you were uh, drinking, or you just drink with reflection. Mm-hmm. And here it's like, oh my god, you got so wasted. That's so cool. Like da da da. It was just funny to see the difference in the culture. And the UK it was similar, actually. Which I used to drink a lot of like Jagermeister and Red Bull in mm-hmm. <laughs> when I did my undergrad, and when Jaegermeister was like, "Oh, we have this program called Save the Night Campaign," I was like, "Wow, full circle I have to <laughs> say <is> very <laughs> different <laughs> to my college years <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, um, but I think it's really nice also to see that um, the relationship to the patron and alcohol is changing, like we're understanding again the story of the brand, like why is it?" I think that's really important for a brand is understanding why is it what it is today, and educating the customer as well mm-hmm. is important.
1: yeah, I think that people are really being smarter of where they want to spend mm-hmm. their dollars, and I think that it's also like quality versus quantity. If you go to a bar and somebody makes you a cocktail, you want to know about the brand. you also want to know about the other ingredients you know, did maybe something came from the local farmers' market or maybe they made it? In their kitchen in the back, and or maybe they adopted a beehive and their honey syrup comes from that beehive. So there's always a story in the cocktail. And I think it's super cool right now. The customers, like you said, they're absolutely paying attention mm-hmm. because they want to be part of that fabric of the story. They want to be able to go back and come back as a regular and be able to say, like, man, I really dug that cocktail that had that that honey from the local, you know, beehive, whatever it is. And it's just you know, customers are a lot different today than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, for sure. I don't think that we're trying to go into some of the bars and just get wasted, (laughs) but rather than having an experience.
0: Yeah. Having an experience and feeling like they're being heard as well. Like, like they brands actually listen to you. I I'm I'm saying that because I've, I've had some great opportunities with different brands now where they actually take the time to show you how to drink their product. It sounds silly, but it's so easy to just like, oh, we're throw, we're just going to send you a case, you know. It's actually like, hey, this is how you can make this and it's nice to learn how to make something too and you feel useful as well. You feel like you're able to do something and yeah. It's also, it's the history of of food and gatherings. It's, it all comes down to that. It's being with your people and enjoying
1: a meal with a drink. Absolutely. Or well, you know, the, the bar experience is a very communal experience, right? Having a cocktail, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be meant, you know, to be shared with friends or family. And, and, um, the bar is, is, a place where you do create memories and you're supposed to have some good times or cry away the bad times, But exactly. you know, it's supposed to be a space where you can feel like you're at home. Um, right. You go through all the phases, all <laughs> the phases, we've all been through all the phases at the bars, no doubt about that. Can you tell our listeners where they can find your documentary and your mm-hmm. work?
0: Yeah. So, um, so the lesbianbarproject.com is the website where you can watch the movie and the PSA for free and read more, read more about our project. Uh, you can find my work on my Vimeo channel, uh, which is Alina street. Um, and then I also have an Instagram handle where I frequently post updates
1: of all of my work. That's awesome. And what is next for you? Like, what are you, What do you hope for, like, let's say in the next five to 10 years?
0: Uh, So we are currently developing a series for the Lesbian Bar Project. Um, Our plan is to a 20 minute film wasn't enough. And we think that the stories are really important to still be told. And also really looking at, you know, why a lesbian bar is important in one state and more important in another and what community they're really serving. Uh, so that is sort of in the, that's really in the works right now. I also have uh, a few scripts that I'm working on. There will be an article published um, in Elle magazine for a presentation that I gave uh, for a commercial for them. I was selected in like the top five director, female oh, director.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> this is, that's big news. That's Thank wonderful. Yeah
0: yeah yes unfortunately, I didn't win the competition but i i uh arrived in the final um winners, so that's good great that's <laughs> um, amazing i actually- i I have yet to know who who won, but I'm excited to see and it was nice because they were giving an opportunity to uh female directors to pitch their ideas and that's really important too is is finding place people who will give you an opportunity um because women in film is is still very much uh difficult to find so we're still fending for ourselves uh there's so there's still few of us in, out there but yeah uh, i hope i answered everything uh, in terms of i know you said the one thing you said like why are lesbian bars so important it's 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 so it's so unique to walk into a space where you see people from all ages all walks of life and even though you don't know them, you know, you have something in common. And I think that goes for everyone. And I think that that's something everyone needs and would want. So that's why lesbian bars are so important.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. On that note, Alina, I want to thank you for being on the show. I do hope that you'll come back and update us on your progress. You have a fascinating story. And I think that you're really just scratching the surface as you so bravely and boldly fill in all the gaps. <laughs> there's so many. So. <laughs>
0: so many. I know. So many. <laughs> well, what's so great is that is. there's so many, so everyone
1: can do it. Because
0: yes. um, there's always going to be someone, something that someone doesn't have time to tackle. So, if you're, so <laughs> if you're lacking ideas, well, there's something you can do out there. Something oh meaningful.
1: Gosh. Something <laughs> meaningful and your approach is very thoughtful. And um, I just, again, just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I also want to wish you some great health during this still weird time that we are living in and just a lot of peace. Thank you you so much. Cheers to you and wishing you just tons of success. And I know you've got just a bright future ahead of you. So congratulations.
0: Thank you so much, Bridget. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up
1: episodes. Cheers!